Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I got my, I got them, Andy. This is my only big news of the week. I got my Girl Scout cookies. Hey, hey! <laughs> I'm just sad they weren't from you. Olivia, but I'm glad you got some. I know, right? But you know what? Let me tell you, the Savannah Smiles is makes for an excellent tea cookie. Mm, Do you notice favorite. that? Do you ever have it with tea? I just, I just eat them by themselves. They don't need tea. The problem is the powdered sugar, Andy. If you're not careful, you'll inhale that powdered sugar. It'll go right. You'll, you'll inhale it. It'll go right into your lungs, and then you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> or you're coughing real, real bad. I don't think the Girl Scouts have that warning on the box. <laughs> don't in, don't inhale the Savannah Smiles, or you're dead. <laughs> 
they, they clearly should have that warning. That's what on the, the, box. the the girl who dropped him off. She said, "Oh, and here are your here are your tagalongs, and here are your dosi dos, and oh, Savannah smiles. Don't inhale, or you're dead." <laughs> wow, I I want to see that expression on the Girl Scout's face when she says that. She's very serious. She's very serious. That is awesome. They're they're good. Wasn't there a movie called Savannah Smiles? There was. I don't remember it. I, I don't remember that. Yeah. Long mm. ago, the young daughter of a politician runs away due to lack of attention. She hides in the car of two not-too-bright crooks who are slowly converted into parent figures as the police web closes down on the supported kidnappers, on the supposed kidnappers. <laughs> I remember watching that as a child. Savannah Smiles? Yeah. I know not of this film. Only the cookie. Only the cookie. Only the cookie, That's Andy. probably all you need. I don't know if you... I, I have nothing else to report. It's because of a, a confluence of your job, mm. of events of your job. We are recording fairly soon after the last time we recorded. And so I haven't had time to see anything else besides the movie that we watched for the evening. Although you, have did, you, done, have you, you had... did see Deadpool, didn't you? <gasps> You're right. Dandy, I did. I gave you I a warning see last Deadpool. I gave you, you did. A and you know what? I took that to heart. I took it straight to heart and and I went to see it. I'm so glad you said that. You know what? I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I really really enjoyed it. I, it was super fun. The meta stuff was hysterical. It was. Uh and you were absolutely right staying after the credits for the win. It was it was great. I mean the the actual superhero uh origin story itself is pretty by the books. It's not like that interestingly unique an origin story i just think that it's it, this one really revolves just around a really fascinating character that's just just raunchy and fun to watch here's the thing i thought was so interesting about it you know at the at the last minute and when i say last minute i mean the, during shooting after the thing had been already you know already budgeted and scoped out uh, apparently there was still a lack of of faith uh, in the film and there was some in, some uh, anxiety from the studio and so they cut an additional 7 million dollars off the budget mm. and so they had to remove a bunch of stuff uh, first they had to the, apparently there was a lot of uh, of of horse trading around which X-Men they got to add to the movie. Oh, interesting. And and they ended up with, they got Colossus, but it ended up, it was going to be way too expensive to get the rights for anybody else uh, besides Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Uh, and, and that one sounds totally made up. Is that an it actual totally X-Men? Made up. It is an actual X-Men. It is an actual X-Men, but it's definitely bench strength X-Men. And the lawyers were like, Negasonic, what? oh, go ahead. <laughs> So uh, so that was one that they got to keep. And I think it actually made for a great addition to the film because they got to unlock the the teenage angst part of the script, which I thought was so funny. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Um, I also, they, I totally didn't catch this when I was watching the movie, uh, but uh, because it felt so natural, but because of these budget cuts, they had to pull the, oh my God, I forgot my... Uh, my ammunition bag trick, uh, right? And so that's why he kept. He ended up with with so few bullets, and and in fact the the uh, the chase with uh, what's his name on the, after the huge explosive scene in the that opened the film with the uh, and the opening credits by the way are the are a highlight high <laughs> highlight so of the funny. film. They were terrific, um, but that opening sequence or that huge stunt sequence on the highway. Uh, apparently ended with a massively long motorcycle chase between Deadpool and uh, the bad guy. Francis. Francis. (laughs) (laughs) 
spell my name, uh, say my name. I, but that had to be completely cut, and so they fixed that one by just having him throw his his uh, one of his katanas into the the wheel. And so all of these little shortcuts, which I thought worked really well in the film, were simply uh, you know bandages to cover up the bleeding budget that they uh, that they were dealing with. So I think they it was just a real sign of like taking a what appears to be a blockbuster, like it's packaged like a blockbuster, um, but boy, they had to deal with some large large-scale, um, you know, well, holes in the boat. It's follow, following uh, Jaws's footsteps. You know? Yeah, exactly. You deal exactly. with the problems, and it ends up possibly making a stronger film. The fact that this is a Deadpool movie, and I walked out not, like, concerned that there weren't more bullets in the final action sequence, I think is a real sign to just the fact that they did a great job. Like, it was just beautiful. I thought it was really funny. And Ryan Reynolds, this was a redemptive film for him after... Uh, Green Lantern. I mean, he just, he was, I thought, just crushed it. Yeah. He just was great. He was so, he was great. He was so good. I, I think yeah. it really um, says a lot that immediately after this had such a successful opening weekend, and then this, this weekend's been really successful as well, that yeah. they already have uh, greenlit an R-rated Wolverine film. Oh, I hadn't heard that yet. Oh, that's great. It's like, oh, they finally have caught on. Hey, you don't have to make a comic book superhero movie just for the kids. Yeah, because you know what? The comic, it turns out the superhero movies you're making these, you're you're catering to are us. The the ones who, you you know, grew up with this stuff. And uh, so I, I, you know, my son was definitely bummed that he was not invited uh, to see this movie. Uh, But it was... It was worth it. Worth, <laughs> it was worth it. It was worth not seeing it with my children. That's right. They got Kung Fu wrong. Panda three. They got Kung Fu Panda three. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, anyway, that was that was great. I'm glad that you taunted me into seeing it. I'm glad. You bullied. To. That was you bullied me into seeing it. That's a strong word these days, Pete. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I call it like I see it, yo. I can get kicked out of school for that. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is Hamilton, the musical. Have you listened to this yet? I'm trying to figure out, is this the political one? The political, Alexander Hamilton, yes, it's political. Founding Fathers, yes, it's political. At first I was like, Hamilton, I couldn't figure out which Hamilton, (laughs) then I just, yeah, no, (laughs) I know nothing about it. (laughs) What are are you talking about, Hamilton, like the appliance? (laughs) I don't know. Hamilton Beach? Could be some guy (laughs) named Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, dummy. Yes, it's the musical. It is. Uh, I, I, you know, I. It was one of those things I was introduced to uh, a while ago. Somebody said, "Hey, you got to listen to Hamilton," and I only listened to like the first song, and I thought, "Oh, yeah, no, it's a hipster rap musical. That's great." And that was my bad because, oh my goodness, it is amazing, amazing, and it's a sing through, right? Like the entire thing you listen to. Uh, they don't leave anything on the stage for you. There, this this is uh, uh, Lin Man Miranda is is unbelievable talent in in writing and starring in this show, and it is uh, really I'm we're obsessed with it. If you haven't caught it, it's I'm, I may break into song this evening. Uh, so I know I'm a little bit late to the game, but you got to pick it up. Wow! If you haven't already, Hamilton's great. Wow! That is, what a that sales pitch! Yeah, I haven't. I, well, I've been so busy listening to Hamilton, I have not finished my next James Bond book. So that'll have to come next week. Ah, I see. Gotcha. At least you're still mm-hmm. plugging away with those. As they say, Andy, please let my life serve as a warning to others. <laughs> Shall we begin? Shall we tell the people where we're from? <laughs> where are we from? 
This is the next reel on Rashpixel.fm, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hello, hello, hello. And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, the fourth in our series on great films and their remakes with our second remake of the bunch following our fantastic discovery last week of the gang drama Infernal Affairs. We have Martin Scorsese's 2006 remake, The Departed. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com, subscribe to the show on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you've ever had a cop in your crew that you had to smoke out real hard, you should head over to The Next Reel's Instagram, hashtag PonyPrize, hashtag GuessTheMovieChallenge. And with that, let's head on over to Scotland and check in with Stephen Smart, who can't seem to stop dunking his head into a bucket of ice. Hey guys. Last week we stepped back to the early 40s with I Walked With A Zombie from 1943, directed by Jacques Tourneur and starring Francis D and Tom Conway. Congrats to At Fegfe who guessed it on Image 4. You're entered once again into the 2016 Pony Prize hat. As always, a new challenge starts on Monday. So thanks guys and see you later. We have a little bit of follow-up uh, from our uh, dear friend of the show, Ben Lott, with the Blot Spot. Yes, Ben writes in and says, "I adored in turn." In- <laughs> see, see, this is that <laughs> dang adjective. It's it's wordplay, Andy. <laughs> I adored Infernal Affairs. It had me on the edge of my seat the whole way through. I cannot remember the last time I watched a movie and had no idea what would happen in every single scene. Each new plot twist was a surprise. The acting was great. The look of the film was amazing. But what really stood out to me was the story. The idea of two moles on opposite sides of the law trying to track each other down is absolutely fascinating. I love this movie from start to finish. Now I can't wait to watch the American remake. Your rank 137, my rank 12. Oh, man. You know, that 12 feels so much better for me this (laughs) week. And if if it would we just we got blocked we got oh brother blocked. It, it, I think that's going to be in our glossary now. The oh brother block. That's what it is. It feels like it's been a year. <laughs> it's always that uh, accursed yeah, that, oh brother. I'm telling you that this film Infernal Affairs has aged so well for me. Yeah, I I think it has for me as well. It's just some of the the issues that I have with the women, but I still. It's a it's a really strong, really really strong film, and it certainly should be higher. Yeah, it should, but mostly in the spirit of Tommy Handsome, who says there will be no re ranking. <laughs> we are going to leave it right where it is. The algorithm, the algorithms <laughs> never lie. <laughs> if I could get that. Andy, up. I think it's time. Let's do trailers. <laughs> I haven't gone first in a long time. Own it, uh, And man. this movie, it totally jumped out at me. I can't believe that I had not seen this coming. It is, uh, it's called A Bigger Splash. From uh, director Luca Guadagnino. Should have practiced that one, didn't you? That's my Italian. <laughs> That's my Italian. I've never actually said it out loud. Have you seen uh, anything else that uh, Luca has done? Did you see I Am Love? No, I, I saw the title and I was like, it said, from the director of I Am Love. I'm like, I haven't even heard of I Am Love. 
It was it was lovely. It's I am love is a is an interesting film because it's the trailer. Like when you look at the trailer, it's really intense looking. It looks like a thriller, and it ends up not being as much of a thriller. I mean, it's a family drama, but it's it is lovely, and uh, it stars Tilda Swinton. This one also stars uh, uh, Tilda Swinton. A bigger splash. Same director, writers David Kadjanik and Alan Alan Page. (laughs) <laughs> I know it's terrible, uh, and uh, the film stars uh, uh, Tilda Swinton, obviously, where he finds Matthias Sconertz and Dakota Johnson, uh, who's um, uh, I think this was I, I'm almost sure this was shot before Fifty Shades. I'm pretty sure, at least it had no no press. This has been tooling around the uh, uh, the the uh, festival circuit for a long, long time. In fact, we're very last on the list to get this in theaters. It's a story of a famous rock star uh, played by Swinton uh, and her filmmaker, uh, Paramore, uh, disrupted by the unexpected visit of an old friend and his daughter. And uh, that's that's where the Lolita story comes in. It looks like it looks like a kind of an interesting thriller. And again, I'm, I'm uh, having seen I Am Love and its trailer. I'm a little bit concerned that this one is not as much of a thriller as I want it to be, uh, e- even though I know Luca does fantastic work uh, behind the camera. So I'm I'm really excited to see it. I love I love being surprised like this. Um, what did you think? I you know I I didn't know what to think of it. I it was really uh, refreshing to see Ray Fiennes playing a character that was so big and so kind of oh, just gregarious yes. and wild. Um, I just don't feel he ever gets to do that. He's always intense and brooding or evil or something like that. You know, he he doesn't play something like this very often. And so that was really exciting to see. And then, yeah, the trailer really takes this dark turn as toward the end. And I was like, okay, so it seems kind of like a, a character relationship drama for a little bit. And then it kind of got into a little bit of kind of a thriller sort of thing. Uh, and then it seems like there's a murder in the pool. I was like, there's a lot of stuff going on in this. It could be really interesting. So, yeah, I I think it would be an interesting watch. Um, I, I don't know a whole lot about Luca, like I said, but um, Luca is actually, after this, directing a remake of Suspiria with uh, with Dakota and Tilda. We just talked about that, didn't we? With Abraham Ben Ruby. With Abraham Ben Ruby, right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's one of the, the catalog of weird that we're supposed to check out. Yes, yes. So I'm going to have to go watch the Dario Argento original. And uh, then be ready for this one. And I looked it up. It's Guadagnino. Guadagnino. Luca Guadagnino. Guadagnino. Luca Guadagnino. There you go. Anyway, our Italian friends have been watching this film since September 6th when it opened at the Venice Film Festival. Uh, and just followed by just about everywhere else in the world until us on May 6th, we get it. And uh, then Turkey will get it on May 6th. So May 4th for us, May 6th for Turkey. Our friends and listeners in Turkey Mark your calendars. Excellent. There you go. Excellent. What's yours? Well, my trailer, um, it looks like a fun, uh, just kind of a crime thriller sort of film. It's a Bastille Day, and it has the fantastically awesome Idris Elba in it, along with Richard Madden, um, who, uh, you know, anyone who's fans of uh, Game of Thrones uh, still might be mourning his death. I know oh, I am. It was a it was oh. a, certainly a brutal one. That was a tough one. It was a really tough one. But this film looks uh, looks really good. Um, Elba plays a uh, a former CIA agent who embarks on an anti terrorist mission in France with a young artist, and 
pickpocket as uh, as Richard Madden's character turns out to be. And it looks like a really interesting combination of these two kind of teaming up to you know to figure out this uh, you know who made this bomb and and track this thing down and kind of going rogue and all of that. I I love the look of this and I just love. I mean, Elba is kind of like my pick for the next James Bond. I think that he's just just so fantastic. I think he's got a great look. I think he could really carry the character. I think it would be a really interesting um, a, a direction to go with him playing James Bond. I, I would be thrilled to see that happen. And I think absolutely, yeah. And agree. I think this gives a good uh, opportunity for him to kind of pull some of that uh, that James Bond action hero sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited. James Watkins is directing it. Um, he trying to see what he did um nothing that's very big um he did the woman in black uh with uh, uh daniel radcliffe and then uh, before that eden lake so not a lot of stuff he's he's done some writing as well so um i you know it looks like a really fun sort of action film i'm i'm excited to see it what about you you know i think he needed this film because of all of the speculation around uh, elba's potential uh his name getting floated for james bond he needed this film he needed this film on the big screen he needed this film with global distribution you know he did that other it was a series he did uh in uh on uh, bbc um where he played a what was it called it was a cop film or a cop series that that is on hulu now that looks uh terrific and i never i never caught it but it was that same sort of vibe uh in just the little bit of trailer that i saw uh that comes out of of this film i feel like he needed this to prove that he has the he has the the presence to be able to pull off that uh, you know a, a, a bond yeah uh, and so I am really excited about uh, about it he looks great um, it, you're absolutely right uh, seeing Rob Stark on there not as Rob Stark um, was was a real gift I'm glad to see him get on on the big screen too at least I found out he survived <laughs> right it, um, it wasn't a real after, <laughs> after the red wedding uh, so uh, no I'm I'm really looking forward to it and uh, I the the song they used in the um, I, I didn't even need to see the trailer as soon as I heard the song it's a uh, jungle by ex ambassadors it was used in a in a uh, beats commercial back in 2014 during the World Cup and and I just fell in love with that tune uh, it's been on heavy rotation around here since then so hearing that in this trailer I was like I don't need to see anymore I'm just gonna see the movie <laughs> I'm just gonna go the song is yeah. just so good it's probably not even it's not even in the movie I don't even care the trailer just hearing it in the trailer is enough nice so. nice uh, it was Luther the TV show that you were talking about Luther that's right yeah. that's exactly right yeah well this opens July 13th so uh, just in time for some summer action I love it I'm in it excellent stuff hey Pete Yes, Andy. If we're not going to make it, it's got to be you that gets out, because I'm not capable. I'm Irish. I'll deal with something being wrong for the rest of my life. When I was your age, they would say we could become cops or criminals. What I'm saying is this. When you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? This is not the regular police! This is the state, please. We are an elite unit. This is who we're after. Frank Costello. You won't be paid as a regular cop, but there's a bonus involved. So what do I do? The Departed, Andrew, 2006. Uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. Written by uh, uh, old uh, Billy uh, Billy Monahan. You remember old Billy from the block? Oh, yeah. Billy, Billy, Billy Monahan. 
Yeah, that's terrible. Neither of us, really. Yeah, that's just bad. No, we, neither of us. No, we're from Ca- Colorado. Cameron, we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I have to tell you, Andy. I was uh, I. I had a hard time turning this movie on. I almost did not want to watch it because my memory of it was that it was a strong film. I had some strong opinions of it at the time. I had not seen Infernal Affairs the last time I watched The Departed. And uh, so my memory of it was good. I did not want to watch this again because I was worried. I was worried that it would not hold up as well as I thought that it should have. Uh, And I'm going to tell you, uh, it did not. Uh, It is still a fine film, but it Absolutely did not hold up in uh, now that I have Infernal Affairs in my catalog. Huh. That is that is surprised me uh, on a few key points. Um, this is, of course, the story of an undercover cop uh, and a mole in the police as they attempt to identify each other while infiltrating an Irish gang now in South Boston. Uh, and this is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays the cop in who is embedded. He's an embed in the gang. And Matt Damon plays the gang member who's an embed in the cops. You remember what an embed is. Oh, here we go again, yes. Don't you, Andy? Don't you? Yeah, no, it's important. Uh, And Jack Nicholson plays the crazy guy, uh, loosely, not so loosely based on uh, Whitey Bulger. And uh, and and there you go. Uh, uh, cast also uh, includes uh, Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, Ray Winstone, Vera Farmiga, who's awesome in everything she touches, and Alec Baldwin, uh, who turns out uh, he's he practically delivers the always be closing speech. <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, anyhow, so among other people that are fantastic in this film, that that is the setup for the film tonight. Uh, give me your shot. What do you think? I still really like it. I I, I really enjoy this film. I uh, I do also have some issues with it, but I've kind of always had those issues with it. Um. I don't know if my opinion dropped that much. I think it's still, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm i torn. It's a really strong, strong film. And I I think I still like it more than Infernal Affairs. But that being said, I... I it sounds like you're on the fence. I, I mean, I hear it in your voice. I, I'm a little on the fence. I just, I, I have some character issues with both films, I guess is my problem. That um, for me, um, make both of them... Uh, I, I struggle with both of them because of those character problems that I have. Character problems, yeah, just some of the characters. Like in in uh, Infernal Affairs, it was the it was the female characters. I just I really didn't like how they were done. I didn't I you know I felt like you know we need a way to get some subtext in here. Let's have his wife uh, be kind of a subtext character, and, and that just was just didn't work for me. And the uh, I, I liked the development with the the psychologist except I just didn't think there was enough of it there. And yeah, so I I agree. And plus there's the the ex-girlfriend randomly coming in with the child and I, I I we kind of have that with this one I guess where where Vera's character ends up pregnant by Matt Damon's character. Um so you still have a child element in it. Um I I just I find it more interesting that it's all one woman and you have this combination of those three characters. Um, and and I think Vera is a stronger actress, and I think they give her a lot more to do here. So I I really like that element a lot more in this film. Okay, My, uh, you know I I think you're right, and it's interesting though, isn't it, that here we have you know in, in the other movie at least we have um, you know three women that are underwritten, and here we have one that is and and that's really it. 
there's there's one woman in the film. Well, yeah, and that really there is and, <laughs> right. I, you you could make a case. I'm not saying I'm making it, but you could make a case that this film also has uh, women problems. Oh, it, underwritten underwritten women. I I think it doesn't have underwritten women problems. I think the the women characters that are here are written well. It's just yeah. it's underwritten uh, uh, the number of women. Yes, yes. that's it. I, that's it. It's a you know. I mean, if we're doing math. And I'm not saying I want to do math on the show. That's my job. But it's not. It's not good. So anyhow, I okay. I hear you. Let's uh, let's talk first about the uh, the adaptation because this was. It, it's funny. Uh, this is William Monahan, who is who is a Boston local. He is a um, you know his. He says he wanted to capture the world that he grew up in, and he actually this was originally uh, this was an original script. Uh, or, or, or I should take that back. It wasn't an original strip. He w- had always adapted uh, Infernal Affairs. It didn't always have the Whitey Bulger piece to it. Right. That was that was infused later as they realized, hey, we want to do this Whitey Bulger story, and here's a here's a movie that we could you know smack these squish these things together and 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 meet both. Uh, of our objectives. And uh, so he says he wanted to capture the loyalty and connectivity of the Irish community in Boston. And he, uh, you know, he said uh, in in an interview, he said this was by no means ever intended to be a Whitey Bulger story, uh, that it, it sort of ended up there, but that was never the intent. And from what I read, Jack Nicholson is actually the one who wanted something more with it and mm-hmm. and kind of got them to add that element to it. Right, right, and and that was what uh, <laughs> I like the way Scorsese puts it is, uh, no, we we never uh, we'd never really intended we never we never really said uh, as we were publicizing it that Nicholson was Bulger, but let us say we were quite confident in that character, <laughs> uh, which which you know it's interesting because Scorsese uh, there were a couple of things that were interesting about this uh, about this film he's this was I think. One of his only of of his big crime films was this the only one that was present day? I think every other film that he had done, Goodfellas, Casino, like they were all uh, period films in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I guess so. I'm trying to think through them. I mean, other films that he's done have been of the time, like Taxi Driver. Uh-huh. But I, you uh-huh. know, if you're if you're talking specifically of his crime films, right? Of his crime films, yeah, which I guess I I think they were, and so I think that's an interesting uh, that ends up being kind of an interesting element to how he he does a film. We were talking about uh, William Monaghan. I derailed myself, uh, but um, uh, but uh, my my challenge with the script is that. You know, in reading interviews with him, he says, you know, it was it was my he said, I really wanted to do more than make a straight up remake of the original film. And maybe it's because I'm watching it hot on the heels of uh, of watching Infernal Affairs. But I almost feel like I didn't get quite enough um, in terms of the remake to make it a valuable kind of commentary on the original. It just felt like it was uh, in terms of the 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 script. It was Infernal Affairs in Boston and in English. Uh, and and it didn't have quite enough uh, of the the major elements added that that made it a better film. It made it a, a looser film for me. It made it a little bit more of a clumsy film for me. And and I I found I really preferred the much tighter, uh, more focused delivery of the main drama that I got in Infernal Affairs. Huh. 
Okay. I actually liked the way that the this script fleshed a lot of things out. Um, I enjoyed just the, I mean, we had a lot of the same elements. We had, you know, I mean, the story itself is obviously the same. Um, for the most part, the FBI informant was added on, but we, we had the, the two moles and kind of their uh, search for each other. We have, uh, you know, the overall thing, then all the way down to specific scenes. Like we've got the conversation over the golf course when when he's kind of given the the promotion. We've got the the conversation with the uh, the two thugs as they are eyeballing everybody around them, looking and saying, "Oh, they're all cops." Um, right. So they they pulled a lot of specifics and a lot of uh, big things out and brought it over. But I liked that there were. Uh, there were elements that I don't know. They just felt a little more fleshed out. Like I actually liked the uh, the the reasoning that Monahan built into this script um, as to why Matt Damon's character ends up killing Frank. I you know the the reason in the Infernal Affairs seemed to be more like you know uh, he he made a decision to kind of go on the good side all of a sudden and. And uh, so he killed he killed his boss there in the in the parking garage. Here, I liked that there was a little bit more of a there was a little bit more of a confrontation between the two of them, and it just it felt a little more natural. So I, I liked some of the development and the way that they played with that more in this film. I can see that. I I, I, I agree with you on that final point too, though. I, I mean, I think that the the relationship between Colin and Frank is is an important one in this in this film that they that I think they deliver. Or at least they they deliver on better in the in the climax of the film. Um, one of the one of the areas that I felt, and I'm torn if I blame this on the script or Jack Nicholson, um, but my character issue with this film is Jack Nicholson's character is just so big and so over the top that it, it just it kind of got to a point where it was bugging me, and it was like. Jack Nicholson was just being really way over the top Jack Nicholson and it was just it was just kind of too much for me and I you know I don't say that too often about Jack Nicholson but this time it's just like god he's just so nuts and I know the whole idea you know as DiCaprio pointed out several times in the film he's starting to go crazy and I mean he was acting crazy but the scene when he was brought in uh DiCaprio's character was brought into the bar and was talking to uh Nicholson as Frank and Frank's talking about the rats and he's just like sniffing the air and his eyes are going nuts and he's just like he keeps like talking about eating and he's just like I don't know what he's eating but it's just like it's almost like he's mushing his hand onto the table and then like licking his palms like and it just oh it was the fly he ate a fly he ate a fly. He ate a fly. Where did the fly come from? I guess I missed the It was the fly. buzzing around. It was buzzing around, and he smacks it down on the table, and then he licks his hand. That's what was happening there. I totally missed the fly part. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, that's just weird. But yeah, so that even <laughs> furthers my my <laughs> issue with him. It's just, it's so big and over the top that it just, it it stood out as a little too nutso for me. Okay. And so I, I really go- preferred Eric Tang. Uh, the way yes. that he played the the big villain. Okay, so we're talking about the cast. I we I uh, we gotta go we gotta go all the way here. So well, I yeah, I kind of pulled us off. Of, uh, kind of pulled you us did. Off that's script, a, sorry. this is this is on you. No, I totally. It's that's table stakes. Uh, 
So I totally agree with you about Jack Nicholson. I agree. It is absolutely for me. It is. It, it this is a performance that lacks any of the sort of the nuance of Jack Nicholson crazy. It's just turn. Just open the floodgates of Jack Nicholson being just weird, and I I didn't I didn't care for it. What I didn't expect is. Um, uh, the my impression of Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon playing Billy and Colin, um, I never really ex- I didn't think that I had a problem with them until I saw Infernal Affairs. And you get the the two characters that play um, play their counterparts in Infernal Affairs. They're just more mature. They're they're I, I don't know if I can say that they are older, but they are they are more mature adults. Uh, and they're portrayed as more mature, sober adults in this film, um, in Infernal Affairs, than my impression of Leo and Matt in The Departed. They seem too young, and as such, I find myself not able to believe them anymore. I, I watch this film, and I'm like, these these are kids parading around in, in the film. It was just a miscast to me. I just didn't get it. Maybe had they made this movie today— Right post uh, the Martian, post um, you know the Revenant. That these are the these are the guys who could play this this part. But the guys, the Leo and Matt of two thousand six, I didn't believe. Um, so that was my problem with their two sort of major embeds. But my biggest problem in the whole film is Mark Wahlberg. Um, I he was a disaster of a character in this film. It was terribly written. It was an embarrassment every time he was on stage with Martin Sheen, and I just wanted him excised from the picture completely. That's so weird. Because <laughs> I think he's so good. Oh, he's terrible. No, he's I can't brilliant. believe that. He's, he's a goof. He's great. He, uh, he's a cartoon villain. Oh, he's just he's fantastic. I, I really enjoyed him in this. I thought he was I don't know. He's just alive, and I, I thought there was a lot of, uh, a, you know, I don't know. There's something about him that that I really liked. So, and clearly, well, okay, clearly, I'll, everyone else did because I mean, he got an Oscar nomination. He was the only person to get an Oscar nomination for the performances in the film. I I know. I can't. I can't understand it. This is again. This is the Pete's spotlight syndrome. It is not it, this. I am out of of step. But but this is my bigger point. Beyond just his performance, let's say I love his performance. Let's just say that. Uh, the having his character in here is fluff. It is a, a character that we don't need. Well, and I think it, it, Infernal Affairs proves it. We we didn't need an extra intermediary between the you know the guys and the chief. We didn't need it, uh, and so I think it was just every. It just added to the extra material in the film that took me away from uh, the story. I, you know, I, I, as much as I do enjoy him in the film, I will agree with you there. Um, I think he does bring a lot to it. But looking at it after the film, going, okay, so why did they add him to the film? Because they didn't have that character in Infernal Affairs. So what about it was the, did they find necessary to bring him in? For me, it seemed to be that the way that they wanted to end the film with kind of resolution of of him killing Colin, that was kind of the, uh, for me, the motivation to have that character. I mean, really, other than that moment, you don't need that character in the film. That The fact that he kind of circles back and comes back, because he is, at this point, really the only person who um, had any interaction with Billy, 
he is now the one who, I, I, my assumption is that, you know, in the envelope that Billy had given to uh, to uh, Dr. Madeline Madden, Vera's character, uh, it was something like, find uh, Sergeant Dignam and give him this information. And so that, so that Dignam could kind of uh, resolve the situation with Colin. That was my impression of how all of that worked out. And, you know, I, I think it works. I like having this type of an ending. Um, that being said, I also really liked the Infernal Affairs ending. Yeah, I, I that's that's sort of my take on it. But, you know, bottom line for me is I, I think I'm also seeing a big hole in the relationship between Martin Sheen and, and Alec Baldwin. I would have loved to have seen more on screen uh, sort of head to head between those guys. And I think there was a way to write uh, Wahlberg out of Dignam's character out of the film and have a more interesting, tighter, um, more compelling, more sort of explosive relationship between the the leaders of the police force. Um, so I, that was that was my biggest disappointment in the film. And it ended up tainting, I think, a lot of my earlier impressions of the film when I'd seen it years ago. And, and I'm, I'm being you, a little so you, bit intentionally. So you did have that problem when you first saw it with with Martin or with Mark Wahlberg? I have always had that problem okay. with Mark Wahlberg. I have always had that problem. He's just a ridiculous, he's a clown. Um, now, I, I and I, I want to say, I'm being sort of willfully kind of bullish on this film. I still actually enjoyed the film. I, I enjoyed the film, but it's, it's no longer ranked higher than Infernal Affairs. In fact, it, on my flick chart, it's it's pretty ridiculously low. It's in the 500s um, compared to Infernal Affairs, which is in my top 40. Um, wow. And and mostly because it couldn't get past Inglorious Bastards, like it was, it's just you know, it's out there. It, it's a good, solid film, but it, it's not as good and solid as as the rest. I think you know, back to the direction, Scorsese is just he is so so good at these kind of crime dramas, and I think his you know his youth, kind of growing up in Little Italy, you know, we, the the consultant on this film, the uh, the crime consultant is a, the organized crime guy right. in, from the Boston Police Force, Tom, what's his name? Uh, see, I, I've escaped his name. Anyway, he says, you know, Marty has a beyond working knowledge of organized crime because of where he grew up in New York. Like, this is a guy who just so happened to be um, intimately equipped to tell stories like this. And I, I, this film absolutely, absolutely demonstrates that um, in a, a really interesting kind of tableau. So I, I do like the film. Um, so anyhow. Tom Duffy. Tom Duffy, right. Yeah, it's, I mean, I... I, I really like it. I am I guess I'm still a little torn which one I I really prefer because I definitely have issues with both of them. Um, but I feel like I still prefer this one more because I just I, I appreciate the development and actually I really enjoy the integration of the of the Bulger story into this and, and that FBI element and, and the reason that kind of um, uh, Matt Damon's character gets so mad at uh, Frank at that point. Um, I I think that's a really interesting element to have brought into this. So yeah, I, I, I think I agree. I, yeah, I think I'd still go for this one. Uh, what did you think of uh, Johnny Depp versus Jack Nicholson as kind of? A, I can't I can't comment. I haven't seen Black Mass. I haven't seen Black Mass. No, no. What did you think? You know, they both are really big and over the top as the particular character. I mean, Johnny Depp is more straight out creepy. As the uh, Bulger character, well, Nicholson and he's doing just... a more—he's doing a, a, a straight-up Im- impression of right Bulger, right? I mean, he's the, Nicholson is just a gang lord in the spirit, in the direct spirit of Bulger, if I'm understanding. That. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, he just kind of goes off on his own crazy deep end. I mean, but you know, back to Scorsese, 
that's one thing I really, really enjoy about watching him when with his films and watching him at work because, man, he is just a master. He knows how to put a film together. He knows how to cut scenes together. He knows how to, uh, you know, intercut different scenes together. I mean, I really enjoyed this film, how we'd have two different scenes happening um, and, and they would be, they would be intercut together. And so we'd, there was a lot of that where you'd get these two different scenes back and forth of two different characters, whether it was uh, Colin and Billy or Billy and Frank or whoever it was, you'd see these intercuts and it was great. I loved how he built that. I love how he used his camera tricks, how he does freeze frames of like key little moments in the action scene. So you got like somebody getting shot or shooting something and it just freezes real quick. Just, you know, it's just a short little freeze, like a, you know, three frame freeze or something as, as somebody's getting shot or something's happening. And it just, it's just such a fun way to play with stuff. And even, even when he would do irises, which I, I think there were two irises in the film where he'd kind of focus on different characters. I love that he is really excited about what he can do with cinema. Yeah, he does. He does feel like a guy. I mean, he feels like a very young filmmaker in that regard. You know, he's a guy who never got uh, tired of of what many would end up calling gimmicks. And as a result, he ends up delivering on them in a very non gimmicky way. Um, and, and that I think is is true of all those films. I mean, you can't like look at Goodfellas. Goodfellas was a, and and I think Casino did this too. Where there's this great use of those freeze frames you talk about as nice um, uh, backing to voiceovers that are done really well uh and so i those are the little tricks that i i really enjoy of his that just help move the film forward in in a nice and structured way and that's another reason i'm sort of disappointed in this film that this film feels as loose as it does uh looser to me than some of his other even longer films the um i also love his camera work just it's constantly alive the the, Mm -hmm. it makes the pace feel just like it's just flying and um, and I love that he's got little homages in here. Uh, you know, the the nod to the third man when Vera kind of walks past uh, Matt Damon's character right at the end. There, I really enjoy mm-hmm. things like that. And just the the way that he uses space, how he's got a lot of frames where there's like an X in the shot, kind of hinting that you know those are people who are going to die at some point soon. Well, and that uh, he's he says the X's are are, are a direct homage to Scarface. Uh, the 1932 uh, Howard Hawks, uh, Richard Rawson Scarface, uh, where every time uh, someone was killed, there was an X in the frame. And so, you know, according to Scorsese, he says, so we put X's everywhere in this film. There's an X all over the place in this film. Uh, and the other one is uh, uh, Paul Muni from Scarface. Every time he went to kill somebody, he's whistling the sextet from Lucia, he says. And so uh, it, that's why um, uh, Bulger goes to the opera and they're, they're seeing that piece. Um, again, as a nod to Scarface, he, this is clearly a guy who loves who loves film enough to to pay these kinds of of nods of honor uh, to the work. And I, I love the uh, speaking of the uh, the opera scene. Just another nod to highlighting uh, Nicholson as the devil. You've got that incredible red light just lighting yeah. him up, and uh, you know which was. It, it, it was just so fun because it's just like, you know, he's the devil. He's sitting here in, in hell. You pan over, you see the girl sitting next to him. And then you pan the other way and you see the other girl sitting next to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, what do we know about, uh, speaking of, of use of camera, what do we know about uh, Michael Balhaus, uh, who's cinematographer, frequent collaborator of Scorsese? 
Yeah, and uh, uh, he's definitely one of those guys who's just a, a busy, busy cinematographer. I mean, he's he's a German cinematographer. He started really uh, working with uh, Reiner Werner Fass, Fassbinder uh, way back in the 70s and did a lot of his films, I think 16. And uh, then uh, he came over here to the States and has just done a lot of stuff with a lot of different people. John Sayles, James Foley talked about yeah. recently um prince we talked about him on under the cherry moon we did yes indeed <laughs> uh james l brooks peter yates frank oz mike nichols steve cloves uh francis ford coppola and of course he's done i believe it's uh is it six films with scorsese after hours I think so yeah. color of money last temptation of christ goodfellas the age of innocence gangs of new york and the departed so i guess seven yeah uh, he did uh, uh, one of my other favorites. I don't know. It may have, it may be a guilty pleasure by now. It's the fabulous Baker Boys. I just love. That. I brought that up before. The Bridges Brothers. Yeah, he's done any, he's, any piano movie. I'm I'm in. You're good with piano movies. Yeah, he's I'm done a wide movies. variety with a lot of different uh, directors and stuff. So. 118 credits. This guy. Yeah, he's busy. Yeah, still kicking. But I don't think he's done. I mean, 3,096 days in 2013. I. Uh, did not see a German film, looks like. Um, did you see it? No, no. And he hasn't really done much since then, has he? Yeah. Uh, interesting. A young Austrian girl is kidnapped and held in captivity for eight years based on the factual case of Natasha Kampusch. There's a lot, of, kid- a lot of that. Life. Kidnapping stories are tough. Ay, ay, ay. Jeez. <laughs> anyway. Um uh, the film, uh, let's see, production design, uh, Christy Zea, uh, this, you know, it's a film that I, I think it, it captures the stereotype that I have in my head of Boston. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I, it feels like it satisfied what I needed to see. It feels really authentic. It feels uh, authentic to what I know about Bulger and about his behavior now that, I mean, we have, we're seeing this film now um, in the in a new context. Like, at this point, he was still on the run when this film came out. And so, you know, we, we have more information about Whitey Bulger than we ever had, and, uh, you know, now... 10 years later. And so, um, you know, what we know about him and his behavior in Boston, how he sort of ran South Boston, um, I, I think the film captures it um, really well. Yeah. And that's something that I, I kind of forget that, um, yeah, he was caught uh, five years after this, uh, arrested in, in uh, California. Um, watching this, I, I, I kind of forgot that he had actually been caught. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it was uh, one of those interesting stories, man. It's, uh, I mean, he's quite a quite a character, and it's uh, just just a dark, dark figure. So it it did. I I think you're right. This film, the the production design, definitely rang true to uh, you know South Boston. Like I felt like I had been hanging out in the town, and uh, maybe that's just because there seems to be like with this and the town and uh, I other films, it seems like that's kind of a become a place to tell these sorts of crime stories. <laughs> yeah, I guess sorry. Sorry, Boston. <laughs> um the uh, the film, let's see, it, it Thelma Schoonmaker uh, won the Oscar for editing this thing. Um 
one of the one of the Oscars of this film. Uh, what did you think of the way it was cut together? I loved it. I mean, I already said I, I love the way that they intercut the different stories. Um, I really just uh, I felt that it was just uh, solid, and I you know I I noticed a few times more than I had before um, the way that uh, some of the the characters. Um, you know, it's just the nature of uh, of acting, and when you're when you're moving or you're doing something, and then you cut to another shot, another angle, things aren't quite lined up the same. It's just always going to be that way. That's why your script supervisor stays so busy. But um, there were definitely some times that I noticed this time when, like Jack Nicholson, uh, after he breaks the cast off of uh, of Leo's arm, pulls out his money and throws some money on the table and says, "Oh, go get this fixed." And I noticed, you know, the way that he throws some money down and then it cuts to another shot and he still had some money in his hand. It was in one hand and not the other. And then it cuts and it's in the other hand and he throws money down. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's done so smoothly that I don't think I would have noticed except maybe I was just weirdly paying attention to that for some reason. But it's just, I I think that there's, um, I think it's always a challenge for editors to have to find ways to cut things like that when actors do things that might not line up and i think that she does it really well because uh yeah i mean i did happen to notice it in this particular case but i think it happens so often where you don't necessarily notice it it just goes really cleanly by so um plus i I just think that she she paces the story well and she's able to tell it well um with uh with this uh long story i wonder i wonder what is there a way to find out just how many straight feet of uh, of footage goes into the average Scorsese film? Is there a website that tracks that? Like, just how much, uh, as, just in just straight feet was shot? I that's information that I doubt the studios ever release. I would be super interested in in just how much. Tell me, she's worked with Scorsese a lot. Oh, uh, yes. She's done a lot of his stuff. Her first one was Raging Bull, I think, 1980, and, and has been with him ever since. And she's just crushingly good at what she does. But I have I, I don't I, I don't have a sense of what his reputation is for, you know, overshooting, for just you know, how much coverage does he get that he throws at her uh, and just that they end up sorting out. Uh, I was watching the deleted scenes and the 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 passion that he puts into introducing his deleted scenes, the methodology behind why this this got deleted, um, you know, this or or that was was cut is is really fantastic. His films end up being so uh, meaty, right, so long uh, that I I wonder how much he gets. That's an interesting thing for me. I don't know, but they did start actually three years before Raging Bull with who's that? Oh, they did. Was that not the first one? Oh, yep, yep, you're right. There you go. No, Good I think she's great. I mean, she's uh, um, been nominated for seven Oscars, and she won three times, all for films with him, Raging Bull, yeah. The Aviator, and this. She's Yeah, a, yeah she's, she's a solid editor. I like her. Yeah, really good. Um, we've talked a little bit about the cast already, about uh, Leo and Matt. Do we have anything else to say about uh, Billy Costigan and Colin Sullivan? Um, you know, I, I do really enjoy... Um, I just enjoy those characters. I I do feel that, um, I don't know, maybe differently than you, I felt Leo and Matt worked great in the roles. I really enjoyed uh, the sense of these two guys in there. I mean, they're both, you know, um, early to mid-30s when they made this. And I, I liked that sense of this story with, you know, some cops that were, you know, in the first, I don't know, 10 years of their of their career. 
Um, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I liked the feel of them in the But in the see, roles. that's interesting because in, in Infernal Affairs, they placed the story later in their careers. He had been doing his undercover bit for 10 years. Yeah. And and I think I just appreciated the seasoning that he had uh, in the organization more. It got a sense that you, you know it's it's funny. I I had a better sense that uh, that his character in Infernal Affairs had done worse things even than DiCaprio in this Scorsese version. Even though we saw him do really bad things to people, stomping on their heads in the bar. I mean, it was just awful things to people. Uh, and it still did. It still didn't feel like as seasoned uh, a, a thug uh, as I got in the original. You don't see what I mean? Like it just their just straight up level of maturity that doesn't that doesn't ring any bells for you? Well, I mean, it could just be that that I, you know Tony certainly looked older. I mean, I think he just looked right. older. Um, but I, it, it didn't bug me. I mean, they felt like totally legit cops. I mean, or cops slash criminals. I didn't have any issue with it. I, I thought it was fine. If anything, okay. I would say um, the, the uh, I, I did feel that Leo emoted his, uh, his sense of concern about stuff that he was doing maybe a little more um, on the, on the nose than Tony did. Like uh, he wore it on his sleeve more when he was yes. when he had to like punch the you know smash the guy in the face with the picture or shoot him in the leg or whatever. I mean, he, I, it did feel a little bit more like I could tell. Yeah. Like if I was if I was one of Whitey's guys or Frank's guys. Sorry, I should say Frank, not Whitey. Um, if I was one of Frank's guys and I saw that look on Leo's face, I would be like, "Is he really up for this?" <laughs> yeah, I think he just telegraphed a moment. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree. Uh, but I, I agree, and it bugged me. Yes. I, I really enjoyed Martin Sheen in this film. I think that he is like a, a brilliant guy to kind of play the uh, the police chief. I think that he, I don't know, I just think he's really good as Queenan in this film. Uh, I When have you, I, I think I mean this seriously, when have you not liked Martin Sheen in a film? <laughs> good point. Uh, I can't. I mean, I love Martin Sheen. I adore that guy. I, just about everything I see him in. Yeah, I, you're right. He's always good. I mean, the Dead Zone. He's great. Um, what else have we talked about with him? I feel like uh, that might be the only thing. That, I think that's the only thing we've talked about. But um, but he's fantastic. From uh, I mean, she's uh, just fantastic. Yeah. So much TV stuff. Yeah. He is great. Yeah. So uh, so he was perfect in the film. And I thought, uh, you know, I got to say, I, I enjoy the scene quite a bit when uh, the cop gets killed or when that character gets killed in Infernal Affairs. But man, do I love the shot of him, the slow shot of him falling in this film. Down past the X's? Yeah, just as, in the windows. Just kind of the slow fall as he falls yeah. out of frame. I think that's just a stellar Scorsese shot. You know, I I really agree with that until he hits the ground. And for me, uh, there was something really important about having the chief hit the car so that his head is eye level with the cop in Infernal Affairs. And having Martin Sheen hit the ground and splatter 
uh, is gross and it it's shocking and it achieves you know that if that if that's its singular goal it achieves it but we lose that bit of intimacy that we get with the the eye to eye that I I found myself and we talked at length about it last week that it, that that was a really powerful moment and for me this moment in Departed totally deflated as a result of the staging. Interesting, interesting. Do, does that is that I mean I'm I'm not just. I no, I think that's a really. I think it's a valid point. I don't know if I. I I don't know if I um, felt the same about it um, uh, as far as having having that um, need to have that shot, but uh, but I can definitely see your point. It's an interesting one. All right, Uh, Vera uh, Farmiga, Farmiga. I just love her, Farmiga. Farmiga. (laughs) I like her so much. She's a terrible therapist. Really, maybe a great therapist, but a terrible judge of character. Who does that with the guy who says he's going to go out and get drugs and kill himself? Who does that? And then she says, "Get out of my office." I don't. She's yeah, I, I love terrible therapist. I love that scene though because it's it's clearly just a huge button pushing scene, and it just shows that you know it's uh, she's she struggles like anyone else, I guess. Well, that's the thing that I love so much about her portrayal of this, and I didn't the first time I saw it until after I sort of got to know her a little bit better and watched her doing some interviews on it, that uh, when she says she loved the character because this this woman is so strong and smart and so wildly misguided in her choices and allegiances and and her she's just she's just fundamentally broken um that that really made her appeal to me. I felt like I understood her a little bit better than the first time I saw it um, when watching her character this time. Um, it it seems like she makes some really crazy, stupid choices, but uh, but I feel like um, you know those those choices are grounded um, in in real relationships and real character that is at great depth. And again, to your point, maybe I'm coming at her character and liking her character so much because Infernal Affairs was, you know, so bad uh, in terms of the way it portrayed any of the female characters. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Have you seen any of Bates Motel? No, not a single episode. I haven't either. It's on my uh, watch list. I think Netflix just added it, so I need to start uh, watching that one. That might be my next show to watch. I've heard nothing but good things. I know. Me too. My watch list is so long right now, Andy. What am I going to do? I don't know. Find your own Groundhog Day so you can just... I need it. I need it. I need it bad. There you go. Uh, Anything to say about Ray Winstone as Frenchie? You know, he's always an actor I kind of struggle with. I don't know why. I still enjoy him quite a bit. Um, But if there was anyone that uh, I felt was a little off, it was him. And it's just like, gosh, I couldn't quite tell. And again, I acknowledged a few weeks ago on our film board that I'm not necessarily a great judge of accents. But he was the one that was like, I I don't know if he's quite there as far as getting that Boston accent. Because, you know, he seemed kind of... (laughs) <laughs> like he was having some difficulty with it. Was that just me? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'll tell you, I'm a terrible judge of Boston accents in general, so they all sounded a little off to me. And so I you know, I just haven't spent enough time there. I know a bunch of Bostonians, but they're not from Boston. They're all outside of it. And so none of them I, I don't know a lot of people who have a really, you know, perfect South Boston accent. I can't talk about it. Yeah. Oh, well. But, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I think he's great in the film. 
I think he works well as, as I guess you could say, the straight man to uh, Nicholson's character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, Alec Baldwin. Ah, oh, yes. He's... You know, it's unfortunate. I, Alec Baldwin's best scene was a deleted scene, and it was a, an expanded scene um, from when he... Did you watch the, any of the deleted stuff? I didn't. Uh, it's an, there's an expanded scene. Uh, it's the same sequence that he dips his head in the ice. And he has a a much richer kind of monologue that he delivers to uh, um, to um, young Matt Damon, um, where he is he's talking about you know the the role of of a cop and a catch and and you know what it, what it means to be successful and and it's great it's a great sequence and it and it was sadly cut um, I don't know why. Um, but it, it gave him a chance, I think, to do something a little bit more. And, and, and there was more of him, like, putting drops in his eyes and just the act of kind of waking up uh, that Alec Baldwin does, just does really well. Um, so I, I missed that. Otherwise, I just, you know, I, he, it's tough to do wrong for me with Alec Baldwin, too. He's in that, he's in that Martin Sheen category. Yeah, he is. He's great. His, um, I think he has one of my favorite um just character moments in a Scorsese film. And it's, it's when he's uh, in the aviator and he was like the head of the competing airline or something. I can't exactly remember, but he just had one line in there that just cracked me up. And I just, I, <laughs> when it comes to thinking of him with Scorsese, like that's the moment I always go to. And it's funny. Cause I, I forgot he was actually in this one until he popped up on screen. It's the aviator that I always go to with him and Scorsese. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, you know, I added Mark Ralston in here at the last minute. Mark Ralston plays uh, Delahunt, who ended up, you know, he ended up getting shot. And there's this great scene where they put him on the couch and then they just kind of leave him to die. They go back and they start drinking and they, they're doing their thing. And Delahunt calls, uh, starts calling people over and they're asking him, you know, is he going to die? And this is, this is in a deleted scene. It's another one of these expanded scenes that was uh, deleted. Um and um, and he he's calling over his buddies. They're asking him, "Are you going to die? Are you okay?" And they're having this conversation. And then he calls Leonardo DiCaprio over, and that's when he springs on DiCaprio's character on Billy. He says, "Look, I called you to give you the address that we needed to go to, and I gave you the wrong address, and yet you still showed up to the right place. Yeah, I know you're the rat, right? That that's the the message there." But in the deleted scene, oh, I, and I actually don't think, but does he have the I could never kill nobody bit in the film? Mm, no. Okay, so this is all part of the part of his sequence where he says, he, he comes to terms with the fact, he says, I've never killed anybody. I could never kill nobody. I, I couldn't do it. And I know that now here on my deathbed that I could never kill nobody. Um, and and then he, he asks, why didn't I tell them he says to Leo, he says, why didn't I tell them that I sent you to the wrong address? And that question goes unanswered. And the reason I bring it up is because Scorsese says in introducing this deleted scene in particular, he says one of the things that I think is most interesting about that sequence is that it makes that you could make the case that Timothy Delahunt is another rat in the organization, that he was a cop all along. And I never saw that at all. But since Scorsese said it, I felt like I had to bring it up. Did you? What was your sense? Did you think that there were other rats in the in the the gang? Uh, yeah, I mean, did that ever hit the, you that Delahunt, as he was dying, was was a, possibly a, a cop? 
I I don't think it hit me when he was dying, but the very next scene when it's like they're seeing on the TV that, you know, he's a cop, I'm like, oh, well, there, of course, it makes sense that there's more than one, one mole in each of these organizations. Well, and I know, and we already knew going into it that there were, that there were other moles uh, on the, on the force too, but I, I did not, I didn't see that coming uh, on him in particular, and I, I didn't, uh, I was surprised at that. I thought that was a good, it was a good scene, and it was a good death, and I thought he was, he did a good job on it. That was, it was a character that I felt I enjoyed more in Infernal Affairs, and I think it was because there was just more to him, longer, longer stretches of that character throughout the film. We had more of him talking about, you know, their cop, all that sort of stuff, and I just felt like I knew the character more. I mean, that was like really his scene was that one scene, which happened like the scene before uh, his death scene. You know, it, it yes. wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot of him. So that was a little bit disappointing that they shortened that uh, character's uh, arc over the course of this particular film. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you wanted to talk something about Anthony Anderson? I just thrilled that he was in it. <laughs> I love Anthony Anderson. He cracks me up. And it's great seeing him in, in stuff where he's not necessarily just being funny. And uh, I mean, you know, he's, he's, I think he's funny in things like Transformers. Uh, but then, then he's in something like this. And he's just a, he's a straight character. And I think he does a great job. So I'm all for more Anthony Anderson. Can I tell you, um, I really like Blackish. You ever watch that show? I haven't. I haven't. I, I don't. He's really good. It's a really good show. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard yeah. great things about it. Yeah. Totally. Well, he's been he's he's one of those guys. He is. He's been around a long time. He's a busy man. Um, busy man. Um, I that's a that's who I wanted to talk about. Do you have anyone else on your list that you're excited to talk about, or are we ready to to talk about old Howard Shore? I, I just got to was mentioned that uh, that one of the Wahlbergs was in, other than Mark. His uh, his brother Robert was also in it. I didn't catch that. Who was Robert? Robert uh, played the FBI special agent Frank Lazio. There you go. So, yeah. The Wahlbergs of Boston. Spreading the Wahlberg love. That's right. Uh, how'd the score hold up for you? I like it. I mean, I like that uh, it just has a, a feel to it that feels different. It's a guitar score, and I, I like what Howard Shore does with it here. It's, you know, Scorsese is, I think, a real master at finding the way to integrate music and the score into his films. And I, I, you know, as much as I like Howard Shore's score here, I'm, I think what really stands out to me is just the songs that Scorsese has running through it, whether it's, uh, you know, the Beach Boys or the Stones or or, uh, or Pink oh, Floyd. Yeah. Comfortably numb. Yeah. Yeah. There's just yeah. so much stuff going on here music-wise. I, I think that's right. The soundtrack is really much, is, is more of a standout um a standout to me too. And, I, mean, I agree. And I have to say Dropkick Murphys, their song yeah. is just, I mean, that to me, when I think of this movie, that is the song that comes to my mind. It, absolutely. I'm shipping up to Boston. Yeah. Uh, what a fantastic tune. Um, and they, I think they use it well. They use it a lot. Um, it's in the, I mean, it's one of those that's it's used in the trailer, I think. And then it's used throughout the film in a couple of important sequences, but uh it works really well. Yeah, absolutely. Are we good? I was just going to throw out the Oscars real quick. Yeah, how'd it do? Uh, well, it uh, this was the film that uh, gave Scorsese his gold statue. Yeah. 
Uh, some people have problems with that because they feel like um, it should have come years before. It should have. Yeah. It should have. It really should have. But, you know, I am still thrilled that he does have one. I think it was um, uh, John Stewart, I believe, when John Stewart hosted the Oscars a few years before this. Um, and uh, I'm going to blank on the name of the, the group who won for uh, It's Hard Out There for a Pimp. <laughs> I just I always think of the moment at the Oscars when uh, when John Stewart comes out. Is it uh, uh, Three Six Mafia? Three Six Mafia, and he, you know, he comes out and he's like, "So, just for the record, Three Six Mafia one, Martin Scorsese zero. <laughs> <laughs> and I just that always made me laugh, and it, That's I good. always thought about that. Um, in you know, this film finally broke that streak. So now, now they're tied. <laughs> <laughs> Scorsese and his entire catalog is tied up there for Three Six Mafia. Oh, so funny! Oh, that's good. So funny. But yeah, it was nominated for Best Picture and it won. Um, how do you feel about that? Is The Departed, Babel, Letters from Iwo Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen? Um, I th- I think I actually I think I actually feel good about that. Yeah, of that group. Of that group, yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. I mean, I, I... I was not a huge fan of Letters from Iwo Jima. Little Miss Sunshine was great. Not sure it felt like, uh, you know, best picture caliber there. I, yeah, I um, love it. It feels like the, um, the kind of the indie uh, film that they are, have been throwing in the, yeah. the, in the last few decades that uh, is just in there to show, hey, we love indie films too. But, you know, uh, Babel... I hated. Uh, I, I really didn't like that film. You didn't like that one? No, I won't say I hated. I just didn't like it. I, okay. I loved the Queen. That was uh, that was. I, if there was one that I would have picked, other than the Departed, probably would have been that. But it, there's. It was still so far behind the Departed that uh, you know the Departed for that me was, was the thing though. The, the, the Queen though. I mean, that was. I don't know. That was on Helen Mirren. Yeah, I know. I I agree. I just I I really thought it was a strong story. Yeah. Okay. No, I still, I'm still with you. I think The Departed is the is the one. Yeah, that is the one. And then Scorsese, of course, like I said, won for Best Director. Um, yeah. Let's see. Mark Wahlberg was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, uh, much to your chagrin. He lost to Alan Arkin for Little Miss Sunshine, and I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. Totally agree. And uh, it won Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, Adapted from Infernal Affairs, as we've already talked about. It beat out Borat. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Because he was also up, uh, he was he was up against Forrest Whitaker uh, for Last King of Scotland, which was, I think, the right choice. But he was up there not for this film, but for Blood Diamond. Right. What, what are the politics in there? I mean, how did he end up not getting uh, a nod for the Scorsese film, but ending up getting something for Blood Diamond? I'm curious about that. Uh, I don't know. My, my hunch is it would fall into one of those things where um, you've got two strong lead roles and they, you know, it ends up splitting as far as who people are pushing forward, Leo or Matt. And, yeah. And so when it comes to, you know, who should we pick for, for that film, they neither of them ended up getting it. And, you know, Blood Diamond had him getting that one. And that's, again, one of those politic things, because if it were up to me, I would have put Jimon Honsu up yeah, as absolutely. best actor. 
not totally. Leo, and he, not uh, and instead of uh, him getting nominated for supporting actor, which didn't make sense, which he lost to Alan Arkin because he's the he is the protagonist of the film. Yeah, absolutely agree. I. Isn't it interesting though? I think if there was anything, I, I, you know, what did you think of uh, Eddie Murphy in Dreamgirls? I'm totally. I didn't see it. Distracted. You didn't see it. Huh. He was. He was great. I. This is. If there was anything that was ever going to get him anything for anything, it was going to be this. Huh. He was. I thought he was. He was great. Well, I thought Jackie Earl Haley was pretty fantastic in Little Children. I. I don't think I saw that. It was good. It's. It's yeah. definitely. He's a dark character in that film. Yeah. Okay. And then, well, and, anyway. And then, of course, best editing, which I already mentioned, uh, Thelma yeah. got her third Oscar for this film. Oh, you know, you you buried the lead a little bit. Departed not only beat Borat, um, William Monaghan against um, Sasha Baron Cohen, but also Alfonso Cuaron, yeah. Children of Men. Children of Men. Yeah. Uh, didn't you love that film? I do. I do love that film. I don't love it. I know you don't love it. But don't you, do you think, uh, you still think that Departed should have won? You know, I mean, I, I'm i a little torn there. You know, I I feel like I would probably pick Children of Men over The Departed. Okay. But right. I don't have a problem that The Departed won because I still really, really enjoy this story. And I really think that uh, Monaghan did a very uh, strong adaptation of Infernal Affairs. Now, don't talk yourself out of it. <laughs> I got you to say what I wanted you to say. I <laughs> could shut up. How did it do on the uh, numbers? Uh, this film did did quite well for itself. This film cost ninety million to make, adjusted. Uh, that's about one hundred four point four million, and uh, then it also spent about thirty eight million in uh, prints and advertising. So all told, the budget on this film was an adjusted uh, just under one hundred fifty million. So that's a pretty hefty chunk of change. Yeah, um, it ended up. Grossing here in the states about 132 million, and about 157.5 million internationally. So all told, the total adjusted gross was about 336 million. So yeah, that ended up being an adjusted profit per finished minute of about 1.2 million dollars. It performed well. Yes, quite admirably, I would say. Admirably. Still no sequel. <laughs> or prequel. <laughs> I'm, wait, I'm waiting for for number two and three. They asked Andrew Lau and Andy Lau what they thought of The Departed. Andrew Lau said, Of course I think the version I made is better, but the Hollywood version is pretty good too. Scorsese made the Hollywood version more attuned to American culture. Fair. Yes. yes. Andy Lau, um, the actor, uh, has said... The Departed was too long, and it felt as if Hollywood had combined all three Infernal Affairs movies together. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's a really interesting uh, thing to say. It it does make me want to watch the other two now and see uh, all at once if I can (laughs) all at once if I can like on three TVs. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see if I can find the comparisons. He did like it still. He gave it eight out of ten. So uh, so that's their comparison. So there you go. I'm I I'm, I like it. I I'm ready. I think we should probably uh, jump in and rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com everybody and uh you can you can go to flickchart.com/the-next-reel if you haven't done it, set up an account so that you can start your gut-wrenching uh horrifying uh experience of picking uh this one-on-one filmo a filmo 
and see where the departed lands in your list of very favorite films of all time. I think you just coined that. Filmo a filmo. Yeah. Yeah. Copyrighted man. All right. First up, The Departed or The Bad Seed? The Departed. Totally The Departed. The Departed or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I'm Eternal Sunshine. Ooh. Look at that. Wow. Yeah. The Departed or The Killing? I'm doing The Killing. Why? The story structure, I think, is so fascinating. I, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, while I think the, uh, the narration might feel a little dated, Sterling Hayden's character in that is, is uh, a really strong uh, you know, crime character, and I enjoy him uh, quite a bit, and I enjoy the way the story unfolds. I, just, I really enjoy that film. And I think that it's, um, for me, it's it's Jack Nicholson's performance in The Departed stands out as kind of just a, just too much. Yeah, and I'm I'm the killing. That's it. It's it's so weird. I I I yeah. don't think it bothered me as much until this viewing. I feel like if Scorsese had cast somebody else to play that character, I feel like it would have made an even better film. Yeah. Okay. So there. That's it. That's the killing. The Departed or Thank You for Smoking? Thank You for Smoking. Yeah, I'll do Thank You for Smoking. The Departed or Viridiana? Huh. I didn't expect that one to come up against this one. I'll do The Departed. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll do, I'll do The Departed. Okay. The Departed or The Lavender Hill Mob? Lavender Hill Mob. Absolutely. I think I would still do The Departed. Hmm. Oh, how much would I do The Lavender Hill Mob? Oh, Alec Guinness. He's great. Tower. I th- yeah, I, yeah. I I really had a good time with that movie. I just if I'm thinking side by side, Filmo a Filmo. I'm 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 Lavender Hill Mob. We're gonna have to go to the mat. All right, let's do it. All right, one, one two, two, three, three. Rock paper. Oh, you got it. Mm-hmm. There you go. The Departed or High Noon? The Departed. Oh, The Departed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there we have it. One o four. Didn't break the top one hundred. No, but it's pretty stinking close. It's in the top fifty percent. Yep. Yep, yeah, it is. That's that's probably fair. Yeah, it's. I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, I, it, you know, it it dropped a little bit in my book. This this had been a five star film for me, and I I don't think it's it is anymore. What it, or are you looking at a four star? Or are you or below that? For me, it's about three three and a half. Is that a three or a three and a half? Well, I'm still at three three and a half, Andy. How do you want to do that? <laughs> I'm going to say it's a three star film. I I would say it's dropped to a. Oh gosh, I'm torn between four or four and a half. I feel like I'm at four. I feel like this is now at the same level as Infernal Affairs for me. Okay, so this is an interesting thing, and this is what I meant when I when I started that this film uh, has has dropped in my view 
directly as a result of my experience with the original material. And had we not been having this conversation around Infernal Affairs, the fact that it's part of a series that we're talking about, specifically in the context of great films and their remakes, this might have been a very different discussion. Had we done The Departed first, I I think it would have been a different discussion. Um, And uh, as a result, I feel feel pretty comfortable with that three-star. I... I don't know, you know, I don't know how well that that is going to age on me. Does that make sense? Like, we're watching them so close together, and I still feel a little bit burned uh, by this one. It's still Scorsese, and he's really good at this at this work at bringing so many people together to make such fantastic crime films. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how it ages. But right now, it's a it's a three star kind of a wandering uh, film, and it's got the the, the worst uh, performance of a Wahlberg. Uh, that I've seen. I don't know. I hear and he's I, pretty and bad I've in seen... that, uh, that scary wind film. <laughs> the Happening? <laughs> the Happening? No, no, he wasn't that, he wasn't this bad. Wow. He wasn't cartoon villain bad. Wow. Uh-huh. How funny. All right. Uh, where, uh, for crying out loud, Andy, where do we go from here? Do you have any idea? Well, this is this is great. Um, as you may know, Pete, we had a pony prize drawing, and uh, dear friend of the show Ben Lott ended up winning, and this is going to be his uh, chance to do a listener's choice episode. And uh, and pray tell Andy, what listener's choice episode? Uh, what film did he choose? We are going to be talking about uh, Peter Bogdanovich's 1972 film What's Up, Doc. I love that we're talking about this film. I know you have already seen it. I have not yet. I'm really excited to watch it, especially because uh, it is—it's one that Ben loves so much, and we have such—we hold him in such high esteem uh, as such a regular contributor to this very show. Um, we should also add that uh, uh, before you hear the "What's Up, Doc?" episode with Ben, uh, we've got another speakeasy coming up. Oh yeah, and this one—this one's all on you, man. You're—you—you you did all the work here. You got one of our very favorite people, uh, uh, Dee Wallace, uh, who was our, our favorite mom in Cujo and E.T. and lots and lots of other fantastic films. We've talked about her a number of times on this show, just in terms of how much we like her. And she agreed to join us for a show. What movie did she choose? We ended up talking about the 2015 film that's actually up for an Oscar, Room. Oh, that was crushingly good, that film. It really was. Spoiler. Really good. So, yes, we were talking about Room. That's coming up uh, just uh, just next week. And then What's Up, Doc? And, uh, you know, who knows what's coming up after that? Lots of great stuff. That's <laughs> of, what's coming lots up. Lots of great stuff. That is true. <laughs> Every bit of it. <laughs> that is what's coming up, and we're excited to do it. Until the great stuff, though, I got to go to bed. All right. I'm going to go hunt for rats. Amazon, uh, Amazon giveth, Andy. Amazon, Amazon always giveth, giveth Pete. Uh, mine, uh, mine is from Miss Miss Kit Miss Kitty, Mrs. No Mrs. Kitty. Oh, don't yeah, don't confuse. No, you don't want to mess don't that up. The two. No, no, no. She's distinguished. 
Uh, I just kept waiting for this movie to be over. It was agonizingly long. There were no redeeming characters, and shooting everyone in the movie in the head got a little repetitive. This is an excellent example of how just because you have big names involved in the movie, it doesn't automatically make the movie good. I wish I could have those few hours I wasted watching this movie back. One out of five stars from Mrs. Kitty. Mrs. Kitty. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a one star also by oh. Landrew. Not Andrew, it's Landrew. Oh, right. Who <laughs> says, one star because ingenious plot twists and hopelessly illogical surprises are two completely different things. <laughs> it's hard to read because it's full of ellipses and it still ends in an, ex- an exclamation point. So like, After an ellipsis. I'm not sure exactly... What what emotion uh, Andrew is trying to project there? <laughs> Incredulity, Andrew. I think that's it. I think that's I, it. Uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. And as always, thank you, Amazon. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. Okay, we're going to play a little game. I'm going to name a series from season five, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations. I'm getting better at this. 1939. Gone with the Wind. Wizard of Oz. Goodbye, Mr. Chip. Uh, Down to the Baskervilles. Nice. Meryl Streep. Uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Uh, Sophie's Choice. Uh, French <laughs> Lieutenant's Woman. Nice. How about Naughty Children? Uh, uh, the Bad Seed. Uh, Village of the Damned. The Innocents. Nice. Uh, your favorite, David Mamet. Clinton Clint Ross. Oh, I figured you'd nail that one. We've covered lots of great movies that started as books. Books like Metropolis, Manhunt. Ministry of Fear, The Great Escape. So many great movies from so many great sources, and they're all on Audible. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they're so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened to you when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. Audible.